Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to the Love Tennis Podcast with me, James Gray of inews.co.uk and the iNewspaper. I'm delighted to say I've got a full cast tonight. I've got George Belshaw, the acclaimed tennis writer, and I've got the respected tennis coach, Calvin Betton, with me for the first time since, oh, possibly even the first week of Wimbledon. Uh, we are all surviving a heatwave. George, tell me about your plans to stay cool. Ooh. I don't know about cool. I mean, I, I'm generally a bit of a cool cucumber, James, so I naturally stay calm under pressure. But what I have been doing today, and I apologise if I sound loud at all, I went to the gym for the first time today since my knee surgery, and then I went for a swim, and I've got a big problem with my ear now. I had to stop <laughs> swimming after like 10 minutes because I was like actually in pain when I was swimming. Um, I think I've got some sort of ear issue. Right. Um, so I've got a bit of a ringing going on. I'm a bit deaf. So if I st- sound really loud, I'm, I'm sure James will adjust the levels. But yeah, I- I'm struggling to hear at the minute. So that's not really that conducive to podcasting. I mean, I have to say, even for you, impressive turnaround to recover from one injury and pick up another one. <laughs> like first training <laughs> session back. And to pick up such an obscure one as well. I mean, that is Owen Hargreaves levels. I'm hoping it's like a wax issue and I can just go and like <laughs> Gross. stick some stuff Okay, in George, tomorrow. I think you need to stop talking about earwax. That is not, <laughs> not something we need on this podcast. Um, Calvin, meanwhile, is calling us from the NTC uh, in what can only be described as his top gear outfit. A uh, top gun outfit, I should say. Um, resplendent in uh, tank top and uh, freshly shaven bonts. Uh, Calvin, how is the NTC? It looks warm. Uh, it's very, very warm. Very warm. I've just walked up from... Uh, I've been nipped into central London today because I've not had any time off during the week. been at, watching singles and doubles and finishing late. So I took a bit of a walk into central today and it was a absolute sweat pit um, <laughs> in central and on the walk back up from Barn Station. <laughs> just to paint um, the, uh, the picture for listeners... Um, 
Calvin's literally got guns like Rafa Nadal sticking out at the minute. Quite. He's just quite. lacking the headband. Uh, and Rafa's <laughs> on his on his way to the same hairstyle, so I reckon a bit more of a tan Calvin. You're on your way to a kind of knockoff impressionist. Yeah, lacking uh, the headband and the thing why the headband is required. <laughs> I'm, I have to say, Calvin, I'm quite impressed. I, I'll be honest. I, I didn't think you had the, had the the sort of gun show in you, so I give you some credit. Well, I think the, the, the camera might be exaggerated. Yeah. <laughs> this week it's Tropicana he's drinking, not Vimto or whatever it was. Well, it's usually Coca Cola, as, as as regular listeners know. Calvin, we had a couple cooked. today. We had a couple uh, today. Okay, good. Uh, let's crack on with some tennis, shall we? Because this is all getting very strange. Um, we do have lots to talk about. You, we haven't had Calvin on since uh, the final weekend of Wimbledon because he's been super busy, and we can maybe talk a little bit about how busy he's been this week. Um, we, we need to talk about Novak Djokovic. We need to talk about Nick Kyrgios. Elena Rybakina and a little bit of Onshibor as well. Um, we'll also catch up with our fantasy Wimbledon winners. Uh, I've heard from all of our top three so far um, who have all done really well and a couple of also rans as well. Andy Murray's back in action over in Newport. Uh, Dominic team is, and I hesitate to say this too excitedly, winning matches again. Uh, and Maria Sharapova has had a baby. So lots of good news going around in the tennis world. Uh, let's start with Wimbledon. Um, we, of course, saw Novak Djokovic beat Nick Kyrgios, and we saw Elena Rybakina beat Ons Jabeur. Calvin, of those two results, which would you say is more kind of seismic? Is it Nick Kyrgios getting to a Grand Slam final, or is it Elena Rybakina kind of making some sort of entrance to the elite scene? Um, there's a chance that neither happens again. Um, <laughs> I think in terms of, I'm probably not answering your question too much, but I think it's highly more likely that Rebecca, um, wins another one than Kyrgios makes another final. Mm. Cause I think strangely he was, he must've been the only person ever in a post-match interview who said that he didn't want to get to another final. <laughs> and he said that he thought he would lose motivation if he'd won it, which, in fairness, is is a thing that has happened. You know, Dominic Teams talked about that winning his first Grand Slam and then getting this big kind of deficit of motivation. Um, what do you make of Cowan? I know you will have missed the final because of other engagements, but in terms of Elena Rabakina's game overall, um, in this era when we've got quite a lot of power hitters going around, is she good enough to compete with them? Uh, yeah, I think she's in the mix with that group of, I think you have the top tier of players, which is, even though she's not ranked there, I would say still Osaka, um, obviously Frontek. Mm. Um, they're probably, I think, still the two best tennis players in the world. Mm. And I'd say that Ravikina is is in that, that's in that next tier below them. Mm probably higher than some of the players who are ranked higher than her. I mean, I think she's better than Jabor and I think she's better than Bedosa. I think she's better than Arena Sabalenka as well, who's probably yeah, still ranked Sabalenka, higher than her. Yeah, Sabalenka, Sakari as well. I think... So they, well, who are you going to say? Oh, Conservate, yeah. I mean, all over the top. And also, you, I'm kind of starting to think about Garbinia Muguruza. I mean, I, I might have missed something about Garbinia Muguruza lately, but... She's in absolute pieces. I mean, yeah. she's she's really just completely lost it, and I don't know whether there's more going on. Um, she's I, in so... tears, wasn't she, in her her Wimbledon loss, and she mm. was bageled, wasn't she? She was going yeah. down, and she yeah, did all is not right there at the minute. She did post something on on social media, but really just saying, you know, it's been really difficult and it's been horrible, and 
I hope I can get better again. But she didn't talk about anything specific. It, as always, and just maybe not as always, but in this case, I do wonder whether there is more going on than we're privy to. And, you know, it's just a guess. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, look, if, we, if we're talking about pure talent and ability, Magruther is right up there. Like, mm. She has everything in a game. Um, but as we've seen, and again, you're right, James, you know, I don't, this isn't meant as a criticism because we don't know exactly what's going on right now. And I suspect there is something going on off court. Um, but there've been lots of times in her career where there've just been these huge dips where the focus hasn't been there. Um, you know, she she's absolutely brilliant when she's on a day and she can beat anyone and she can mix it with, you know, I, I think she's someone who could hit through Sviontek. She can come to the net brilliantly. She's got some of the best volleys in the women's game. She's got really everything about her, but the application or at least the focus the execution. hasn't always been there, the execution, yeah. So I also think you say she's great at the net and comes forward a lot. She doesn't come forward as much as she used to. She really, Not enough. Like, yeah. like re, you know, I remember watching her at Wimbledon. Well, I seem to remember watching her against with you, George, maybe against Svetlana Kuznetsova out on court two in a really good match. And what was great about it was Muguruza was willing to come forward and roll the dice and, and you know usually do it pretty judiciously and was brilliant at it. And I just feel like she's just lost nerve in that, which I suppose does happen when you're playing dreadfully. She's technically probably, I think Calvin may have a different view, but I think she's got technically the best volleys in the in the women's game. Mm. They are really, really, it's a solid shot. And mm. you're right, like she she should use that more often than she does but she's also pretty bloody good at the back of the court so you know when a game's firing she, she has everything but also there's a saying in poker which is do the opposite of your table which is when your table's really aggressive you know be very tight and when everyone's very tight be very aggressive and i do think sometimes tennis is like that if everyone's doing one thing and you're able to do the other do the other be the difference be the the kind of the hipster of the tactical scene um I don't know, Calvin. I, I, I suspect you're going to say that actually the the quality of and I would, I would agree with you. The quality of forecourt play in the women's game at the moment is not high. It's not. No, it's not very high in the men's. To be mm. honest, um, there's um, yeah, there's not many great volleyers around uh, for one reason or another. Which makes me, there's there's two schools of thinking about that though. The one is that it's maybe done that, that we won't see a comeback of of great volleyers anymore that the, the the modern game doesn't lend itself to that kind of, of play for various reasons um and the other one would be that you that that tennis and any sport is cyclical and it will come back to a stage where we'll get a great volleyer and they'll be very very good because they can do something that the rest of the players can't i suppose i mean if you were if you were calvin tasked with if someone came to you and said right you're in control of tennis and your task is to get volleyers back into the game. Are there things that you would do to change the conditions to, to make that happen? I mean, make courts faster or lower or balls lighter? I mean, what's the best? What's the way to do it? Yeah, the, the courts being faster would certainly help. That, mm. that, that's one thing. Um, although there is an argument that the players are hitting so big now that it would be tough, other than behind a serve, it would be tough to actually get into the net because everyone hits so big anyway. Mm. But... Look, it, it, you're not going to get more volleyers on the courts at the speed that they are now in general. Hmm. Um, I mean, we've just played at Wimbledon, which in th historically is the, supposed to be the fastest surface, but I can tell you from experience, it, it's not very fast. 
I, I did briefly mention this McEnroe document last week, but I'll tell you what, there are some clips in that. I can't believe how good his volleys were with those rackets. I mean, they were outstanding. He had such amazing touch around the net. I mean, you just don't see things like that. I, I mean, I'm, I'm more... It's a strange one, isn't it, that we talk about this, this GOAT debate all the time. But I was discussing this with somebody last week that we, we seem to have this obsession now in tennis and in sport that you do everything by numbers and, and the, the GOAT is, in inverted commas, the GOAT is whoever wins the most. Mm. But I don't look at it that way. I don't look at any sport that way. I look at who was the best when they were at their best. And I, and for that reason, I actually still think McEnroe is the best tennis player ever because at his best, for not for a short period of time, by the way, because we get this thing and people go, it's about longevity though. McEnroe was at his best for a good eight years. That, that's a long period of time. Mm. And I think McEnroe playing at his best beats anybody else. I would say, I would agree with you, Calvin, in terms of judging players. And I always talk about this in sport, where people say, who's the best sportsman of all time? Who's the best athlete? I say, I don't care. Who's the most dominant athlete of all time? That is a good question, George. I was actually going to say, you can answer the first GOAT debate with McEnroe as well, though, because no one's in the men's game has won more singles and doubles titles combined. So if you want an actual numbers uh, argument for him, he, he's top of the class there as well. Yeah. I, I think it comes into one of those, though, where it's like people talk about, oh, he hasn't won 22. But no, but it's not like somebody won one. He has eight, I think. I think he has eight slams. Like, uh, a sizable so. amount. I think. I think once you've gone beyond the sort of four or five... You're in the mix then, and I, I, I do think that him at his best, and I think I think 1984 was when he was probably at his best. It's recognised. He's got the best the, percentage win in a season yeah. as well, doesn't he? I think he certainly. And, there's an argument of hit, hitting the highest peak from that alone. Yeah, he was so dominant. I, I don't to the extent where players couldn't live with him. He was mm. that good. I couldn't live with his serve. His serve was so good, and he he he, he played as and still he's a completely unique player as well. There's there's updated versions of Bjorn Borg and Lendl and Samfras. There's no, there's never been another player who played like John Macken. Who Who's the, who are the updated versions? Would you say of, of Bjorn Borg and even Lendl? I mean, I can I know about Sampras, but the other two I'm not. Oh, so I would sure. say it's Nadal and Djokovic. Right. That, I, I would say Nadal is definitely Borg. Um, mm. The way because Borg basically invented topspin um, <laughs> and was was an aggressive player. A, a, a baseline player, but aggressive with it through the top spin. Right. Djokovic and Lendl was a very, very solid, unbreakable, mentally tough match player who didn't miss much, and that is Djokovic. He had a probably had a little bit more power than Djokovic, hit with a bit more power than Djokovic, but I'd say they're your two updated versions. Well, well maybe um, wait to talk about the documentary until you guys have watched it. But the one of the things I, I didn't know about because obviously Calvin, I'm a little bit younger than you it wasn't my generation so i actually found a lot of the stuff that was in there kind of quite new but there's this amazing match they focus on a little bit in the french open i think it was in 84 the one of the i think it was the only slam match he lost that year against lendl i mean that yeah. that was an astonishing match like there's actually a documentary just about there's a there's a documentary just about that match um <laughs> i think it's on netflix or amazon prime it's actually oh is it actually and it's not yeah 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 it's um it's a bit arty and it's I didn't particularly enjoy it but parts of it are interesting. It's just about that that one match. Uh, I think it's made by a French guy. But um, yeah, I'll tell you something interesting. I, I, I'll tell you something interesting about 1984 French Open is that the men's quarter finalists 
were seeds one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and nine. Uh. Yeah. And you know who let down the side? It was Jose Luis Clerk of Argentina, the number eight seed, who lost to the number nine seed, um, Sundstrom. Henrik Sundstrom. Henrik Sundstrom. I can't say I know exactly or even remotely who that is. And also, I think it's worth saying, going back to that era as well, that again, when we're counting up slam wins, like, I don't think McEnroe ever played Australia. Or he certainly didn't play very much. He, he, he definitely played it because he got, he got kicks out of it one year, but that was kind of later he on. He did, yeah. It might have been 91. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. He played, he played he it, yeah. He didn't play it then. It was at the You're end right. of the year. It used You're to be at the end right. of the year and players didn't play it. So McEnroe, just to kind of tidy up the stats here, McEnroe won seven Grand Slams, four US Opens and three Wimbledon. His best ever French was getting to the final in 84 where he lost to Lendl, having been two sets up. Um, and he played the Australian Open just five times. He didn't play it at all until 1983. He got to the semis uh, in 83 uh, and then played it in 85, 89, 90 and 92. So, yeah, it just wasn't... I mean, when did it go from hard court to grass, for example? And then, obviously, you've got the switch of... It used to be at the end of the season in December. Yeah. And, obviously, it switched into um, into the beginning of the season, which I suppose probably affects whether people wanted to go as well. Like, you can imagine the end so. of the season sod that. But I think as well, James, tying into that as well, that, that basically the the year-end finals used to be at Madison Square Garden. And that mm. was seen as... Back then, that was seen as much more important than the Australian Open. Right. So I think it's them. I don't know how many of those McEnroe won. I don't know whether you've got that. Um... That is going to be a hard stat for me to find immediately. But um, yeah, that that's certainly. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I was reading some kind of arguments on a forum today about how important year-end finals is, and basically someone was making the point that fans are much more obsessed about year-end finals than, say, Djokovic is. But I think actually. Djokovic has talked about year-end finals quite a lot. Of all the tournaments he's talked about, and maybe it's because he can't play the US and he can't play the Aussie at the moment, but I do feel like players take it reasonably seriously. I mean, the prize money alone is worth it, isn't it? I think it's, like I say, I think back in the... Back pre... Pre when the Australian Open went to Melbourne in January, mm. the players definitely saw the Madison Square Garden once. It was at Madison Square Garden as well. Um, mm. The greatest arena in the world. Um, and it was held there at the end of the year, and they saw it as being, I'd say, more important than um, than the Australian Open for sure. But I, I think it sort of changed around when when there was a big push to say that we had four majors and the Australian was one of them. Mm. Uh, McEnroe won three uh, Masters, well, as it was called then, the Masters, uh, in 78, 83, and 84. Uh, and just to tidy up, because I couldn't remember when the Australian Open went grass to hard, it was 87 was the last year of grass uh, Australian Open, which obviously was sort of just probably at the back end of McEnroe's career. But um, yeah, George, we'll have to talk about that documentary because I'm really looking for I think my missus is probably quite keen to go and see it. Basically because we watched a um, sitcom, which some people will know called Never Have I Ever, which is it's, it's quite good um, sort of comedy show about this uh, Indian girl in high school. It's kind of a classic high school comedy with a bit of an Indian twist. But McEnroe does all the voiceover work, so he narrates the whole show. There's like six seasons of it. It's, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, not, it's not necessarily for tennis fans, but if you want a familiar voice doing it, I would suggest that he's more informed in that when it's scripted than when he's commentating. He, he is just an interesting guy as well, isn't he? I mean... The- there were so many different angles to it. Um, I actually read a review about the documentary today, just out of interest to see how it was going down. And 
one of the things they kind of criticised was it just didn't do any of his later life where he's also been quite an interesting like public figure and stuff but um, yeah I, I'm sure everyone will enjoy it so I'd highly recommend and yeah we'll put some time in and it's out tomorrow I think I'm right in saying his, um, his first autobiography is one of the very best um, sports books I've ever read as well he's written two the second one isn't that great the first one I think is called Serious right um, and it's very 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 truthful very forthright and um, it's an excellent book I think it, I think it is called Serious um, and like subtitled You Cannot Be or something and I only know that because I wrote something during Wimbledon about Nick Kyrgios and I said, you know, people call Nick Kyrgios the modern-day John McEnroe. A, he's not as good as McEnroe, and B, he hasn't got a catchphrase yet. And I think, I think if I was like in Nick Kyrgios' circle, I'd be like, look, mate, shout at umpires all you want, but you're going to have to keep saying the same thing. You need, you need something that we can put on a T-shirt so we can actually make some money out of this. Because can you imagine how much money John McEnroe's made out of just the? F- I, I would be amazed if he hasn't copyrighted it yet. That would be the real, the real answer would be to copyright it. Um, anyway, we got sidetracked slightly, but I'm okay with that. Just a little. <laughs> I, well, you know, we're recording this um, on a Friday night, and I think that's the kind of Friday night pod it should be. Yeah. Um, but we should talk a little bit about Novak Djokovic, um, because we have already. Um, as I say, as we spoke about on Sunday, he's currently out of the US Open and the Australian Open, but he is just one slam behind Rafa Nadal. Calvin, we just talked about the GOAT and the numbers. I mean, the reality is that... If Djokovic doesn't pass Nadal, which depending on how the politics of things go and how long Nadal hangs on, it's not impossible that that happens. And then all of a sudden this GOAT conversation gets quite difficult for people who want Djokovic to officially be the GOAT, doesn't it? Um, I guess, yeah. Um, But I am informed by the Australian players and coaches that I know that they think he will be at the Australian Open. That's very interesting. Um, um, Presumably because, the, I mean, from what I've read, the political sort of appetite to stop him being there is much less than it was, right? Yeah, and I also think it's it's probably fair that I don't agree at all with his vaccine stance, but from a logical point of view, you, you struggle to make an argument as to why he shouldn't be in. The, the reason why you... Basically, he's for anyone who doesn't know, he has a three-year ban because he was refused an entry last year. Yeah, but it, it was a sort of quite of a unique situation why he was refused entry last year. And mm. by the sounds of it, not entirely, and I put entirely in very inverted commas, his fault. Mm. So I think the feeling is that some logic will preside, preside and he'll he'll be there. But the US, I'm not so sure. I don't know. Do you have Rafa to win the US Open, Calvin? Um, no, I don't think you can, can you? Didn't look. You have Medvedev? Pretty... Yeah, I still think Medvedev's probably favourite for that one. I think the way More Medvedev... <laughs> George, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> we, we, we'll get to that. Um, I think it's interesting. Like, Medvedev played so well on grass. Like, obviously he didn't play Wimbledon, but... He played so well on grass as we didn't necessarily expect him to that it, it's put me in a state of mind where I'm like Medvedev is a pretty hot favourite for the US Open. This, you know, despite that being, I mean, I suppose that's not hugely controversial given that he's you know world number one and got to the final of the last hardcore slam. But I just, 
it's a sort of it's going to be a weird slam. Like we'll, I think we'll feel a lot better about it once we've had you know the Rogers Cup in Canada and we've had the Cincinnati Masters and a little bit more to kind of give us some form and I'll be able to get my model going again. But um, I, I just do feel a bit weird about the US Open at the moment. Just, I mean, just on Medvedev. I mean, Medvedev is, you know, getting to that stage on a hard court where you're really looking over best of five sets at about four players who can actually imagine beating him on those courts. I mean, Nadal, Djokovic, <laughs> I think I think Zverev, when fit, possibly would give him a go right now, but mm. he'd be in my three. Um, I don't think Sissipas beats Medvedev on hard courts, really, at no. the minute. No, I don't think he, I almost don't think he gets that near him. I don't know what their head-to-head's like, and I know they've got like a bit of beef, but I can't imagine... I mean, I'm just looking at their last like three meetings. So, Sissipas hasn't beaten him on hard since the ATP Finals. He beat him on clay at the French Open last year. And, that, and that's a very different hard court to the US Open. Yeah, that was 2019 as well, so that was in London. Um... I mean, yeah, I think two Australian Am I going Open above wins. Three then? Who? Who? I can't. I can't even think of it before. Alcaraz. 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 Yeah, Alcaraz. Yeah, fair comment. In terms of someone who can, not necessarily can, someone yeah. who I'd still back Medvedev in that match for what it's worth. Yeah, yeah, I'd back him against any of them. I'd, I think he's favourite against Djokovic at the minute. I'd actually think Nadal's probably the one who you'd think he struggles with most. He's still he's there's a mental issue himself. there. He should have yeah. beaten him in Australia. Let's be honest. I mean, he was. It, it, yeah. It was, <laughs> killing him to start with but there's a big there is a mental hold in that match and I don't really and then it goes away. I don't really remember the Nadal Medvedev match in Mexico which was like 3 weeks after the Australian Open final and Nadal beat him 3 and 3 like just absolutely yeah. crushed him but I don't really I remember Medvedev the match was a bit he was a bit off it those weeks after the Australian Open. There wasn't. Mm. He? I mean, and he did have. Was it a hernia he had eventually? Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the, which obviously he took care of in the clay court season. Um, so I suppose yeah, he could have been suffering with that at that point. I, I'm not. He, I'm sure he said when it started, but I suppose he may have already had a bit of a a bit of a problem in that area. But yeah, I mean, it it would be great. And I'm just thinking about the seedings, and I suppose we've got a pretty good chance of getting uh, a Medvedev. Nadal final in the US yeah. Open. I mean, look, it was great uh, in 2019. Yeah, and I think it would be, and it was great at the Australian Open as well. By the way, <laughs> like, yeah, that was yeah, a, yeah, yeah. I was watching a couple of points from that that popped up on social media the other day, and it was just you forget that. And I've said this before, and I will say it again: Rafa is the most box office of all the players. Like, you know, Andy Murray's great to watch for some reasons because he always makes it a battle. And Djokovic is great to watch because of that flexibility and his engagement with the crowd. And Federer is great to watch for the grace. But Nadal has has a bit of all of that. And this kind of court presence and this charisma on court that I don't think anyone can match. He's the best in close matches. I, I maintain there are bad, bad Nadal matches when he's just rolling oh. someone on the clay. But in a close match at a slam, he... He's, I think, the best ever. Possibly. When he what? When he beats someone like three-one and love at Roland Garros, yeah. Because also because he doesn't, you know, he never, he doesn't bully them in points necessarily. I mean, he does bully them, but it's not like that takes an hour and a half. Like it, it gets drawn out. Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. It's not a good watch, really. Yeah, it's a it's a slow kill. Federer against bad opponents. That is good. 
<laughs> yeah, well, quite. And Calvin, as I think you said before, Rafa Nadal, the best swerver of a tennis ball in the game. Yeah, best swerver of a tennis ball, best love 30 player of all time, mm, um, yeah. amongst other things. Best fist pumper of all time. <laughs> best knee raiser of all time. <laughs> yeah, the, the good knee raise fist pump. It's important to have that right. We've, we've sort, of, sort of touched on Federer a little bit there. How, how damaged is Federer by by Novak's latest win? One well, does, within he, him at Wimbledon. He doesn't have a ranking now. Slams. He's an unranked I, I think player. I've got, a bit of, I've got a bit of a theory on this. That Actually, Nadal... I don't know whether everyone agrees on this, but Nadal actually going above and, and being in the lead has kind of diminished this idea that whoever ends up with the most is the best. Because everyone just thought it would be Federer or Djokovic that ended up with the most. When Federer but, had the lead and Nadal looked pretty short, um, but I don't think it's that damaged by it. I think I th- people have already made their mind up on Federer. You either think he's the best or you don't. I think my, my specific claim about it would be that there's long been this kind of compromise theory, if you like, that Djokovic is the best hardcore player of all time, Nadal's the best clay court player of all time, and Federer's the best grass player of all time. Djokovic is really threatening to damage Federer on that. He's got a winning head-to-head against him on grass. He's one Wimbledon title away from him. Realistically, it's quite easy to see Novak winning the next two. I mean, he's streets ahead of the rest of the field on a grass court at the minute. If he passes him on that, I think that's really, really damaging to Federer. No, okay, because we come we come back to it again, though, George. I, I don't necessarily think it is because like you're comparing two different things because he's won more. Like it, it, it's different eras. Like Federer has, for example, like like I said there. McEnroe only has three. Mac- Pete McEnroe would beat Djokovic on a grass court. <laughs> I would watch it. I mean, That'd for sure. It, 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 no, it, it comes to on the old grass courts, mm. on the same mm. thing. And like, if the you grass courts haven't changed that much in Federer and Djokovic, have they? And they have played each other enough times for. I, I think I still think they've changed quite a bit in the last two or three years, even. Mm. It's I, now I think... a hard court. Everyone's used to be. It went from being a, a fast grass court to a slow grass court to a hard court, which is what it is now. Mm. It's very hard d- argument to make the the Djokovic versus Federer on grass thing because, like, the final they've played three times in finals, right, at Wimbledon, and Djokovic has won all three of them, which you think is like an absolutely dominant stat, but like two of them went to five sets. The third one, twenty nineteen, went to a fifth set tiebreak, so that's basically a coin flip. The twenty fifteen one is the only one where you're like, well, that was pretty one-sided but even that had a 22 point tie break in the middle of it so just i do think calvin's right it is different eras i think the thing that a lot of Djokovic fans will say is and this always gets leveled at federer right is the people he beat to win his titles whereas like Djokovic's finals to win his titles at wimbledon are nadal federer 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 anderson berrettini and kyrgios so like there are some easier ones in there than others. In but... fairness, there's only three. There's only three tough ones. Uh, four, yeah. Federer, has, who's Federer beat? Uh, against Murray. Yeah, Philippus is Murray once. Is that right? Nadal. Uh, he's got one Roddick. against Nadal. I th- but like Roddick, you probably put alongside Berrettini, right? In terms of Roddick, yeah, 
ability. No, I'd, and... put, I'd, put, I'd put him ahead of Berrettini. He's won a slam. Been world number one. But Berrettini's, but like Berrettini's career isn't over. Like he, because it's always difficult to judge during. But that's the inevitability of like trying to judge things. But if you consider that Berrettini might well win a slam and might well make world number one one day, then you kind of compare those. Uh, who else if is he fair? Does, if he does, fair enough. But at the minute, mm. I'd, Roddick's definitely got to be higher up on the the all time list than Berrettini. So Federer, to, to run you through them again, Filipusis, correct, uh, three Roddick, two Nadal, one Murray, one Chilich. So you would kind of say the Chilich, the Filipusis, and the, th- well, I don't know. Chilich, I would kind of... Kyrgios and Anderson have never won slaps. Mm. And never even been close. I think no. if you consider Roddick was basically made to retire by facing Novak Djokovic on grass, that was the moment he realised my career is completely done. I think I mean, that puts it into context. You can't put people at the end of their career. And yeah, go, but he's oh, only 30. Yeah. He's the same age as Federer. But Federer beat peak Roddick. On, on Pete, Pete Roddick was a good player. Mm. Yeah. Back to back I'll tell you yeah. something, Pete, Pete Roddick was better than Nick Kyrgios. <laughs> it's a different league to Nick Kyrgios, a different league to Kevin Anderson. George mm. mm. has got, got this now idea in his head that, that Djokovic is, that he doesn't want people to think that Federer is better than Djokovic on a grass court because he just doesn't <laughs> want to think it. <laughs> I, I, I think it's just an interesting question because you've, you've I, I just think like everyone in their mind thinks Federer is the king of grass, and that's been like a an indisputable fact. I, I don't, I don't think decade. he is the king of grass. McEnroe was better than him on grass. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sam in the twenty first century, in the twenty first century, Calvin. Sam Frass was better than him on grass. Not in the twenty first century, though. He, he... No, uh, <laughs> he went in two thousand. Uh, who won Wimbledon? He lost to Federer in 2001, didn't he? Did he win it again in 2002? No, he, no, he, retired, he retired. Did he win in 2002? He won it in 2000, Sampras. He retired in 2001. Mm. So it depends on whether you consider a decade starting. <laughs> 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 I'm not, George, I'm going to get into this. The, the <laughs> thing what we undervalue, in, the thing what always gets undervalued in this, though, is that because people want to see the rivalry of Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, and, and Federer's longevity is astonishing as it is. Federer was past his best when Djokovic came on the scene. Mm. Like he just maintained the. If we imagine him like his peak, he went up to his peak was before Djokovic came, even before Nadal came on the scene, and then he had a very slow decline. It wasn't a fast decline, and he was very good a couple a few years ago. But Federer in 0405 was the best Federer by a mile, and that's the period where you could have an argument that he was the best player ever. And of course, I always thought six might have been his best season on paper. I might be wrong there. I feel like six I did look at this well. a long time ago. And, e- and either I re- way, I remember, watching, I remember watching him in the US Open final in 05. He beat Agassi. And it was maybe the most perfect tennis I've, I can imagine. He was hitting the ball hard and on lines. And I, I realized then the game had moved on. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. 
Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm going to start the second part of today's Love Tennis podcast with me, James Gray, him, George Belshaw and Calvin Betton uh, by congratulating a couple of fantasy Wimbledon stars. Huge congratulations to Miss Hit who uh, says, can't even explain how stupidly happy this makes me be bragging to all my friends who don't even like tennis because her team, Fast Wheels and Big Weapons, has won our fantasy Wimbledon game. Uh, yeah, it, by just a point in the end, uh, it was, I think, the was pick the of Isla Tomjanovic in wow. the end. Good yeah, pick. really good pick. Uh, just to run you through her team, it was Djokovic, Berrettini, Van der Zandschulp, Kyrgios and Denis Novak. Uh, Onsjabur, Coco Goff, Petra Kvitova, Isla Tomjanovic, and I can't remember her first name, but her surname is Chvilinska, uh, the Polish qualifier. Uh, Maja Maja I think she just won one match uh, as it was but that's you know that's three points three valuable points uh, and that was I mean they all they all count George they all they all count not that we know because we didn't get any points well I was going to say you missed me off the list of congratulations as I was the highest scoring pod pod member I mean I got beaten by your girlfriend who as far as I know doesn't know anything <laughs> about tennis and she beat me by a whole point which I mean is Did Calvin no. forget to enter? Have we clarified this yet? Uh, no, Cal- I entered. Just didn't do any good. <laughs> what no, was but... your name? Yeah, what was your team name? I forget. <laughs> Convenient for Calvin. Uh, I mean, it was pretty. It was pretty carnage, to be honest. I think that's our lowest ever winners total of forty six point five, which is no disrespect to uh, to fast wheels and big weapons um a strong recommendation highly commended to seb max 33 seb servers uh, who says i had two 50 50s isla versus bianca and amanda versus beatrice had admire and of course went for the worst performing in both because i thought their draws were easier um and hipster tipster eight came in third i'm also going to give a shout out which i don't often do for fourth place finishers but Hanya Gitani, I think, is quite a new listener to the pod um, and is very active on Twitter, who says, can I be considered a bronze medalist? I'm afraid, Hanya, you cannot, but fourth is very commendable, given I think that's your first time playing. Um, what's that? Wooden spoon? Is that what you're No, for? I think wooden spoon is probably for me, for last of the identifiable pods, <laughs> given that Calvin has uh, sensibly disappeared into anonymity. <laughs> um, but anyway, thanks very much for playing, all 231 of you, which only represents about 10% of our podcast listeners. But, um, you know, if you want to get involved for the US Open, there will be another fantasy game 
and it will be even more heavily contested. Uh, I will have a model for that one as well, so I'm much more confident. Uh, looking back at Wimbledon as a whole, um, it's has it been a success is the big question. Uh, it had massive viewing figures, I think 7.5 million for the men's final, 3 million here in the UK for the women's final as well. Um, I know that the, uh, the attendance figures were down about 10%, George, but I think... That on 2019, that is. What what would you put that down to? Um, that is a good question. I think one of the big issues around ticketing this year was the fact that they were all sold from 2020. Mm. So there was like a big hangover of tickets that said it was sold out a long time ago. So I, I think that may have added some confusion, probably rising COVID as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's all kind of speculation, but that. I know a lot of people I spoke to who had talked about maybe getting tickets were like, oh, we're actually going to try for next year because this has been sold out from 2020. Um, in terms of the broader question, was it a success? I would say it was on the whole. Um, I think you had a lot of things that got people talking, which is always good for a tournament. I think I read that there were 25 million viewers in total for Wimbledon, kind of UK viewing figures, which you can't really sniff at, to be honest. Mm. Um, that's a pretty decent wedge of uh, the population, or at least... What yeah, people outside the UK might not know, or probably do, but I'll mention it anyway, is that the Wimbledon is broadcast by the BBC here in the UK, which means it is free to air for everyone. It's free to stream on the BBC website. It's got a massive catchment, and it's so important. I think the BBC have just signed up for another five years as well. Um, it's such an important part of, of Wimbledon's kind of legacy to to try and reach as many of those people as possible. Um, Calvin, you obviously spent time inside Wimbledon this year. Uh, I, I'm sure it was much better than last year when you were in a bubble and having to live a weird kind of existence. But how did you find the tournament experience as a whole? I mean, am I right in saying that is your first normal Wimbledon as a coach or have I got that wrong? Uh, no, I went in 2005 with a player. I did a lot of travelling with. Um, but, um, yeah, it was it was good. It was good to be back. It was enjoyable. Um, doubles coaching life in there is a bit strange because you don't get to actually see much because the doubles practice courts are really basically... You get one hour in the morning, maybe, and then you generally want to practice another hour later on, and it's usually about... Uh, it's usually after five o'clock, so mm. five till six, six till seven, and the practice courts finish at seven. So um, you kind of don't really get to see much. I, I didn't actually wander around watching any tennis much mm. at all until the day when Henry and Julian had lost, and then I had an hour just walking around the grounds and watching. Mm. Spend most of the time on the practice courts. Do do you find it still has this sort of buzz, the prestige? Because what fans will know of Wimbledon is going to the grounds and it feels special. Does it feel special behind the scenes as well? Yeah, I think so. It's not my favourite tournament, as I've expressed before. I think it's, I've said before, I think it's a corporate event with a bit of sport going on. Hmm. Um, But it definitely does have a buzz there. There's no doubt people want to do it, people are willing to go and spend way more on some PIMS than they can get in any bar in London, which in where, where PIMS isn't cheap there either. But um, uh, somebody made a point to me, the only thing in Wimbledon that's good value for money is the strawberries. Correct. I actually have to say, uh, I, had a, I had a bottle of wine on the, um, the second Thursday I came, 
and it was only £24.50, which I was astonished. (laughs) The thing is, George, that you have to remember, we have been living in London for quite a long time. And (laughs) like, But I think if you go to a restaurant, you'd expect a bottle of wine normally to be around. Mm, Again, George, I think you you need to spend more time back in Birmingham. Birmingham is expensive now. Every time I go back, I get annoyed how expensive it is. I was meant to go to Leeds next week, so maybe that would have been a bit cheaper. Mm, Leeds is not that cheap. Calvin will tell you better. Uh, it's cheaper than London. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Go Barnsley on the way there, George. Then you find out. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going anymore, Calvin. It's been cancelled because of the right. extreme weather in the UK. Which oh wait, is that really why? Yeah, no, yeah that's serious. really why I'm not I've going. Just, I've just got on the tube. I just get on the tube on the way back. Every two minutes, they're putting out tannoy warnings because of the extreme weather. Uh, customer uh, travelers are advised, commuters are advised to only travel in exceptional emergency circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Monday, there's a warning about because the temperatures are meant to hit so high that even normal, normal in inverted commas, you know, not people not normally with kind of health defects um, are, yeah, likely to be under threat. So they've like, you... reduced all the services. They've cancelled our our day up there that we're meant to be doing. It's do, do you reckon, I mean, I think it won't even be hard to find that there are people already with their tin hats on saying that this is some sort of conspiracy to keep us all in our houses and to keep us <laughs> under the thumb of the man. I mean, I reckon there, well, there are people who just say climate change isn't real, so I'm sure they're already I'm there. Certain, yeah. I'm certain that it's somehow related to the vaccine. Five <laughs> G networks warming us up. Perhaps. I'm just yeah. check. I'm just checking one specific Twitter account to see if it's penetrated a certain group of fans. <laughs> I, think, I think we all know who that would be. <laughs> it's not been mentioned yet, but I only feel it's not going to be that far away. Oh, I have just found a Bill Gates post though. He. Oh no. Oh no. I. Sorry. I'm so sorry. I've poisoned my mind. I don't, one day we might do a whole podcast on this person, and it's going to be possibly libelous but anyway the, the wider point is 24 quid for a <laughs> bottle of wine at wimbledon is not that bad in the grand scheme of their otherwise heinous prices and well so uh, you buy a pint and it's six pound fifty and i literally said something there i was like, oh yeah pints only six pound fifty and they looked at me like i was green like it, unfortunately that is what living in london does to you this kind of absurdity becomes normal oh you only pay 750 pounds a month rent do you oh that sounds great <laughs> Yeah, I mean, six fifty for a pint is much worse than twenty four quid for a bottle of wine in my in my book. I, to be honest, I don't go out like, yeah, I don't just buy I don't buy bottles of wine out that often. I think that's the problem. Anyway, I think we got distracted again. Good tournament, Wimbledon. Good good bunch of blokes. <laughs> always said it. Uh, speaking of but good storylines as well, I, I think I will just come back on what we were talking about before the break. There, because I was thinking when we were in the break, oh. this and just quickly this idea that Djokovic is the best grass court player ever. I, I can't express it, and I did say it, that it's not really a grass court. And I think if if Djokovic would have played, if the Wimbledon, if Wimbledon was played on the same courts as Queen's or Eastbourne, I think the outcome of those Wimbledons in the last 10 years are different. Mm. I suppose, I mean, Murray's won a lot at Queen's, but and Berrettini got to the final and he obviously won Queen's last year and I think has a pretty obviously has this absurd record at Queen's um, Eastbourne not that many good men play it so it's hard to tell but I, you know you've played on both courts Calvin I trust that George I, I was going to say I mean Borg, Borg was pretty 
successful at Wimbledon was it? And they described it in the documentary as like the best server versus the best returner at the time. Are there any kind of links between no, Borg the two? Borg got a huge serve as well, though. Like this is a strange thing with Borg when we think about him as a baseliner. If you actually watch the Borg McEnroe match in full, Borg is serving volleying nearly every point. Mm. Um, he just played on the baseline because he played at. Um, he played, he's a baseliner on the clay and he, he did play from the baseline quite a bit on the grass. But um, yeah, I think what I'm getting at is that when you have you have the US Open and then the run up to that, everything is on hard. And there's not much difference in the paces of the, the US hard course. They're, they're pretty much the same course as they're going to play on at the US Open. In the, the clay and the run up to the French Open, there's differences in speed, but they're clay Madrid courts. obviously is the big yeah. difference. But Wimbledon is a different court to it's an entirely different feel of court to all the other grass court tournaments in the run up. Hmm. And I think that's what I'm getting to. Interesting stuff. I mean, I also find it bizarre, it's speaking of surfaces generally, that there are now players playing on three different surfaces in tournaments this week. You know, you've got Bustad and Gustad and Dustad and Sustad and all the other stads where there are clay court tournaments this week. <laughs> You've got, and we'll come on to it in a moment, Andy Murray playing on the grass in Newport, Rhode Island. And then obviously you've got a whole host of, of hardcore tournaments going on as well. It, it's a bizarre... I mean, I do think this is the potentially the worst week of the season. Is there no. a hardcore tournament going on this week? I mean, I've just said that actually, and I have presumed that there is. I mean, there must be a hardcore challenger. There's always a hardcore challenger. Yeah, maybe challenger. a challenger, yeah. Uh, Atlanta starts next week. There isn't a ATP level that I think I might be pushing it to challenger which to be honest i even i would struggle to defend myself on that because like there's challenges all the time and actually i'm struggling to find a hardcore challenger this week uh, oh there's one in rome usa on indoor hard which i i mean it's a challenger 80 which is like the lowest level of challenger right that's is newport the only grass tournament this week uh, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Surely. Um, well, let's talk about Newport because uh, Andy Murray is out there, and it stops me waffling on about hardcore tournaments that no one cares about. Uh, he beat Sam Query two and love in the first round in a bizarrely one-sided match. Uh, I think there is something more going on there. Revenge uh, for 2017. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think much like 2017, only one player was fit. Uh, he then beat Max Purcell in the second round. Uh, coming from four, six, 6 4 down the first set, and then he won 2 and 1 in the second and third set. Um, Max Purcell was a tricky guy to play against, as Liam Brody was pointing out on Twitter. And then he was beaten by Alexander Bublik, 7 5 6 4. I mean, George, you know, positive to go and pick up some more ranking points, uh, but losing to Bublik is not a great result, all is it? Four times they've played this year. You can't yeah, avoid Bublik. him. I mean, 2 all this year. I mean, Bublik's but, just random, isn't he? I mean, just don't but want to play not, him. Yeah, he's of course he's out. random, but he's not that good. I don't know. I think, he, I mean, he's got a lot about him in terms of kind of lights out tennis. He can take the racket out of your hand. I, I didn't watch this match, admittedly, so I'm not going to so, pretend I know exactly what happened. But, you know, he, he's got a massive serve. He struggles to focus a little bit. You'd expect Murray, you know, Pete Murray would pick Bublik apart all the time. Don't get me wrong. But this, <laughs> I thought, this Murray... I, I thought you said Pete Murray there. I was like, who's Pete, Pete? Murray? <laughs> Has he got another brother that I've just never You've heard? Murray. <laughs> Pete, this one. Um, yeah, Pete Murray would 
pulled Publix's pants down. I think they played at Wimbledon in 2017, didn't they? And that was like mm. one, two, and four or something. But I mean, this is a pretty rogue decision to go and play Newport. I appreciate he's going to go and play Atlanta and Washington and train with Lendl probably in Florida. The so rankings push, surely. Yeah, they? but, he, you know, 35 ranking points to like spend an extra week or he had because he had to spend two more weeks on grass because he was at Wimbledon in the second week of Wimbledon hitting and then he went to Newport and so he's been an extra 15 days on grass I mean Calvin is that really worth it for 35 ranking points when he could have started his hardcore training block earlier and, and been fully ready for Atlanta next week I think he probably thought he was going to get more than that um, I think he probably fancied I mean Newport's usually quite weak Mm. Um, it's actually probably stronger this year than I can remember it. Um, yeah. But I think he probably thought it was an easy win, mm. that one. Um, and, yeah, first two rounds have, have probably not been that difficult. I know Purcell's difficult, you know, he's tricky to play against, but not in terms of ranking. And then mm. it's a bit unlucky to come up against Public, who, like J- James uh, George says, I favor Murray to beat him about 60% of the time, but um, mm. he does he does have the ability to just take the racket out of your hand. You got to think as well. I mean, he, he, had he won the tournament, two fifty points, that that probably would have confirmed the seeding at, at the US. Given mm, I'm not if Novak doesn't play, convinced about that. You're gonna get thirty five points for quarters. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a two fifty, right? So, but you get. I mean, like Henry gets twenty five if he wins the final tomorrow. Well, that then that's where Andy Murray should have been. Really, <laughs> should have been at Roehampton <laughs> playing the twenty five k. Um, I'm just looking I'm wondering if Murray might have been defending some points from last year which means that he was only like improving by 35 but I'm fairly sure that that is the distribution at a 250 I mean it is brutal right like it always is it drops off pretty quickly once you start losing at that stage Um, let's talk about another player who's coming back from injury shall we because George has well, I was hoping George wouldn't have mentioned his name yet, but somehow he already has. Dominic Team snapped his losing streak and then some. Absolutely remarkable to see his name on the right side and results again. Um, he picked up wins in two consecutive tournaments, would you believe it? Uh, he beat... Who did he beat? Uh, Rusevori. Thank you very much. And Emil Rusevori. And Roberto Batista. I mean, to be honest, George, both very creditable results. Yeah. Two grinding three setters, lost to Base in the quarters, who's having quite a good season. Base, quite Are you trying practice. to say Sebastian Baez? Is that what yeah, you're trying Baez. to say? <laughs> Baez. It's a government department. <laughs> it's what they play snooker on, isn't it? I can't say he's got a snooker table. <laughs> <laughs> Baez. Um, yeah, he's having a pretty decent little season, isn't he? Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. So. Um, I mean, t- team was always far too good to be on on this sort of streak. I d- I'm I'm not going to uh, risk my reputation by throwing him into the mix for the US Open. But well, you threw him into the mix for Wimbledon. He didn't even block. play. <laughs> <laughs> I would never throw him in the mix for Wimbledon. He's poor at Wimbledon. You definitely considered it. <laughs> never, never. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully this is the start of him getting back to where he should be. I think the top of the game would really benefit from a fit and firing Dominic team in terms of another style, another, you know, contrast to what, what we've kind of got there. Um, mm. And he's yeah, part of so the lost generation, right? Like he's, well, he's, he'd say he's found, he's got a grand slam title. That's, that's pretty good. 
I, I hesitate to say this because it's a, le- a level of privilege that comes with growing up in the GOAT era, but <laughs> only one? Like, is it, is it fair to say only one, Calvin? I mean, there are some great players who only have one Grand Slam title, but d- 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 could you really end your career if you're Dominic Potro team? is ending up one. Yeah, I knew you were going to say Del Potro. But if he ends his career with one Grand Slam title, like, come on. <laughs> I mean, Del Potro lost about five years of his career. Hmm. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, it's funny, isn't it, how injuries work. I was just thinking there when you mentioned Baez that Baez should have beaten Verev at the French Open. And and Verev came back and it was like a big comeback to win that. And if he hadn't done, he'd probably be playing right now and have a chance. (laughs) It's funny because he he came back and won that match. He's probably out Mm. for the whole summer. Mm. Although I notice he's back. Uh, He's back walking. Yeah, I mean, walking very tensively. I mean, he's on the entry list. I think he's on the entry list for Toronto. Uh, Oh, wait, which one is it? The Rogers Cup, that's the cheating way of saying it. Uh, and I'd be very surprised if he plays that. Absolutely yeah. not. I mean, t- team, to be fair, I mean, if you look back in his career, you know, we're always talking about context. I mean, he's he's made, what, four Grand Slam finals? He's lost twice to Nadal on clay and once to Novak Djokovic at the Australian Open. I mean, Could argue he should have lost the one he won as well. <laughs> Given the well, I mean, he was, he was terrible in the one he won and the one he should have won. But, you know, as Calvin says, you've got to win the matches when you play badly. Team was, um, team was brilliant at beat, always beating one of Nadal and jo- Nadal yeah. Djokovic at a slam and then, not yeah. being a, and then not quite beating the other one. Yeah. Mm. He play, he's played some decent slam finals. Though. I mean, the, the match with Djokovic, he, he played pretty well. And I, I remember I was at the French in... What year was that? 2019. That, that was a pretty, pretty he, good match. When he got a set, yeah, yeah. But that that he had to work bloody hard mm. for that set. I mean, yeah, that yeah. was a really high standard. Then the Aussie Open, the Aussie Open when he lost to Djokovic in the, the final. Yeah. Um, just a sidetrack, if anyone fancies it. Best player only to have won. Um, best male player to have only won one Grand Slam. Did Roddick That's only win Potter. one? Yeah, yeah, he won US Open. Mm. Del Potro, Roddick. I mean, I'm going to throw some other names in there. Carlos Moya, uh, Yannick Noah, Pat Cash. Um, Del Potro, Del Potro. <laughs> I'm going to struggle to get this audience off Del Potro. Uh, let us know at Love Tennis Pod and lovetennispod at gmail.com if you reckon you've got someone who's a better single Grand Slam winner in the men's game. There are far more of them in the women's game, which is I was why... I say, yeah, just... who's the best women's ones? There's probably too many to... I mean, yeah, maybe that's one for next week. Uh, let us know on Twitter or on email um, who you think the uh, best women's... Rebecca is currently the best one. <laughs> She's going to win lots more. I think there's some recency bias there, George. Um, do also let us know on Twitter if you've been enjoying Matchpoint Tennis Championships, or if you haven't, frankly. I'd just be interested to know um, whether people have been playing it. I mean, I was... I've just been sent a lovely projector by a company who make big projectors. So I've been like really? having a, yeah, it's great. A 70 inch screen on my living room wall. It's amazing. Wow. So I was playing That's online awesome. the other day. I've got my ranking now. I think I've got a ranking 167. It's an ELO system. So I don't know how good that is, but I haven't played online since my qualifiers. Um, it is a great game. They've been sponsoring us throughout Wimbledon. This is probably even the last time we talk about it at least seriously, um, but I wanted to say thanks very much to them. Thanks so much to all of you who got involved and got in touch and say you're going to play it. It's been great to hear from you, and I, I will get some games in with you as well once I put my embarrassing, very old gamer tag on Twitter. 
Uh, it's an, an immersive tennis sim. It's got a load of licensed players. You can create your own player as well and play your way around the world. Um, and as George always says, it, it does really feel like you're playing tennis. So, What's uh, the username then, James? Come on. I'm actually not going to reveal it at this point. I'm not ready for it. <laughs> it can't I'm, be that bad. I'm not ready to go through it. Um, I'm afraid <laughs> it's just not something that I'm ready to do, George. It's, it was a long, long time ago when I had designs on acquiring a nickname for myself, and that is all I'm going to say about it. Um, we haven't got I much... I can't even think what that's going to be. No, you will never guess it in a million <laughs> years. Um, Calvin, I did say in the intro, and therefore I should follow through on my promise, that you would very briefly tell us what you've been up to this week. Um, Pat and Cash, another title. And I'll tell you what I'm going to ask you. They've won the doubles title at Roehampton. They've won a boatload of doubles titles this summer. I mean, do you still all get excited when you win a title? Or is it like, you know, here we go. This does not slip. On to the next one. Uh, this was a bit weird one to say the players who they played in the final had to withdraw. So mm. they didn't... Um, one of the guys was playing a German league match and he had a flight to Germany. Um so he could only play the final if Henry won his singles in straight sets. Um, um, and he didn't. Um, that's so weird. Good tactic from Henry. Let the other guy have a set to so <laughs> get the walk over. Yeah, respect, yeah. respect that. Yeah. Um, Coached him well. But um, no, I mean, it's, it's been a bit of a dip uh, in the doubles, um, you know, as, as is expected. Um, they've got through the matches. They've been a bit of a battle, to be honest, but um, they've got through it. But you know, guys at this level, they, they don't make loads of money and it, there's prize money for winning doubles. So mm. you've got to mm. take the money when you can. Yeah. And um, we won't talk too much because Henry's got a final tomorrow and we don't want to jinx it or reveal any game plans to the, the thousands of fans of his opponent who I'm sure will be uh, tuning in for any nuggets they can get out of you, George. I was just going to say, what, what what's have you got like an ambition for the end of the year, Calvin, of what you'd like them to be kind of doing? It's... Um. They're going to go out and play three challenges in the States, which are three pretty strong challenges. Um, you basically get the players, all the players who don't get in the Masters series. Uh, so Canada, Toronto, like Vancouver. There's a challenger in Vancouver that's one of the strongest challenges of the year because it's the week before US Open qualies. Right. Um, so anybody who's not still in Cincinnati at that stage will play, um, will play that challenger usually. So... Um, I guess it's just a case of getting up towards the 100 mark. Um, mm. And then there's those three in the States. And then um, and then I think then it's probably back to Europe for the start of the indoors, or maybe there's still a few outdoor hard challenges. I don't know. I, I don't want to, like, over-pipe them at all because, you know, it's not fair. And, you know, they're into the world, top 150 for the first time, I think, next week, which is great. Um, but, like, where does main draw cutoff tend to fall, like, or even Grand Slam qualies cut off ten to four in terms of direct entry. We don't have you don't have qualies for doubles. Oh, so, that's right. Um, double. Um, so main draw cut off for slams is one fifty combined. So okay. So it's the combined ranking of the two players. So basically, if, if both players rank seventy five, you'll be round. You just sneak in usually. Right. So they they would probably have to still cut their ranking in half. Oh yeah, substantially yeah. Yeah, um, which is where the doubles gets difficult because it requires both of them to do that. Which, if they're playing together, they can only do that. They'll only get the same points. Their, their yeah. points are basically similar. But what tends to happen? Why I think people think that 
doubles players split up from partners willingly and that's not really how it works if if say for example there's a player ranked 30 in the world who whose part potential partner gets injured the week before and then he asks a player who's ranked 120 to play with him the player who's ranked 120 wouldn't get in with his usual partner so he would then go and play with the guy who's ranked 30 for mm. example to try mm. and get in yeah, well, it gets a little bit complicated, doesn't it? But that's um, the car keys in the bowl world of doubles, eh? What a what a time to be alive! <laughs> um, I've got one more thing to say before I ask George if he's got any other business, which is um, a very brief congratulations to Maria Sharapova, who in the last couple of hours has announced that she's given birth to a baby boy, Theodore. She's called him, um, which for those who don't know means gift from God in Greek. Uh, she says the most beautiful, challenging and rewarding gift our little family could ask for. So congrats to her and her partner. George, any other Belshaw business? I think I just wanted to ask Calvin one question because we missed him last week and you and I had a difference of opinion on this, James. Um, will Ons Jabour win a Grand Slam, Calvin? Great question. Um, what do I always say about women's tennis? George. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. My feeling would be no, but I wouldn't say that with any confidence. If, if you'd asked me a year ago, would Emma Raducanu win a Grand Slam? I'd say no. Would mm. Rybakina win a Slam? Probably not. But it doesn't work to any logic. Like, there'll be... Two of the Grand Slams next year will be won by two players who, if we all named ten players now... There'll be two players won, two slams won next year by two, by two players who won't make any of the thirty players. <laughs> that's, that's a big claim. Do you not think it's the Ontech will start mopping a little bit? I think, as I said the other yeah, the other week, as there'll I said, be two the... random ones. <laughs> <laughs> She's not just going to win. George. She's not just... There's only one woman who's ever won all four slams in the. Oh, two is there? There's Steffi and so Serena. Would Serena done it? She, uh, won she it. did a Serena slam, didn't she? Yeah, wrap she's, done a, she's done a Serena Djokovic slam, but not a calendar one. Yeah. No, the calendar, right. There's only Steffi Graf that's ever done the calendar one, so I doubt Shrontek's going to do it. Um, sure, but she might win three. Might win the French and both the hard Yeah, ones. but then there'll be, yeah, there'll be one then that's won by some randomer. I'm trying to pick out, like, yeah, I sometimes do this with WTA when I, I scan my way down to sort of, you know, 25 to 45 and try and pick out a really rogue name. I mean, the, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Elise Cornet won Wimbledon next year, or Alison Van Wijtank, or, I don't know, Clara <laughs> this Torsen. Is this is the thing what throws the fantasy tennis into chaos, though, isn't it? It's always the men's qualifier yeah. and the women's winner that decides <laughs> it, because everything else is usually pretty inconsequential, and most people have the same. Yeah. I mean, that is going to... I'll be honest, I've been thinking about that a lot and the scoring system is going to get a tweak next year. Um, I, can, I can't tweak it mid-year because there's no, people... No. You, you, for example, George, I've got an idea, there. James, as to something that you should do, actually, with Exciting. it. Exciting. Th- I think the wild card should go in with the qualifiers. I was thinking... I have thought about this a lot. And basically, the problem is that sometimes you just get, like, Andy Murray got... Like, uh, Andy Murray gets a wild card and it's like, well... He's obviously a far yeah. better bet than like all the qualifiers. 
Um, but yes, I agree. I, I we might just need a wildcard category to be honest. Like that might be the other answer. Yeah, but is he, the, is he though? When he's when it, when he's been the wild card, he's not done any better than what the qualifiers would hope for. He's won yeah. a round. Yeah. You know, he's won the odd round, and but he's an anomaly, isn't it? There's not there's not no more Andy Murray's hanging around injured. No. no. Yeah. Federer. Roger Federer. <laughs> well, ro- yeah, yeah, I mean, Roger Federer will need Federer a wild card. Federer next year. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell, uh, I think it's probably time to end. Thank you so much for listening, as always. Um, we've had record numbers of you listening over the last three weeks. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have every single one of you, even 80s Villager and his uh, ever-changing review of our podcast. Please do keep coming back, <laughs> 80s Villager, because I know that next week you'll like us more or maybe less. You've got I think bo- it's going down towards one star from five, isn't it? I mean, he uh, he will be back. He's going to bounce. There is a dead cat bounce, in his opinion of us, I've no doubt. And we were very nice about Rafa Nadal today, so I'm sure that'll make a difference. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.